welcome to Beyond Beckdale, the podcast about film and feminism. I'm Contrera and this week's episode is an interview that I had with short filmmaker Becky Matthews. She gives so much insight into her journey from working in production to going on a film course becoming a filmmaker, becoming a writer and director, and then successfully making a short film. That film's called Double Word Score, and there are a few references to it throughout. The interview background is pretty noisy. We were at the ICA, Institute for the Contemporary Arts in London, and hopefully that adds to the atmosphere of frenetic activity. Here's the interview. Hope you enjoy. Hi, Becky. Hiya. So um, you have made a short film, and I'd like to talk about that later, but firstly I think it would be really interesting if we talked about your journey towards making that film. Yeah. So you did actually start out in the production industry. I did, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm a freelance writer now, but like I, when I, and I studied writing and publishing at uni, but I um, worked in TV production for about five years. Um, and I just kind of felt my career was sort of going sideways rather than forwards and I got to a point where I was like I'm not really enjoying it I'm going to do something else and I didn't know what and I hadn't really been doing that much creative stuff of my own at that point and then after leaving the industry I kind of just did a couple of different jobs and then I was just temping it was incredibly dull but low pressure so and I had a bit of extra cash for the first time in my entire 20s because TV production especially when you're not that high up it's not massively well paid as people know so I was like oh I've got money this is amazing uh, so I was like right what am I going to do I, and I signed up for a film course because I could never afford to go to film school um, but uh, there was this um, 10 week course at City Uni which was called Introduction to Digital Filmmaking and the the course tutor was a, a professional filmmaker called Darren Paul Fisher and he was really great so it was like a just really good to be in a, a group of people who was had similar aspirations to make films or were just really into film and wanted to sort of learn more about it like as a serious hobby and and so it didn't feel like I was intimidated by all these people who would like yeah well I've made like my I'm on my 20th short and I'm just directing a commercial it wasn't like that so everyone was kind of along the same wavelength um, and at the same time I joined a comedy group um, comedy sketch group um, with whom I've, I ended up making the film sort of later on um, and what's their name for a plug? So they're called Kalosia, but we don't really kind of operate, like we don't sort of, we're not like a sketch group in the sort of traditional sense, like we don't do live performances and most of the stuff that we make is like ad hoc now because the group's kind of like everyone's having kids or getting married or has left to a different part of the country. So it's not that it doesn't exist, it just kind of exists in a slightly different way. It's a loose collective. It's a loose collective. <laughs> we're all still very good friends, but we don't, you know, we've worked on each other's stuff, which is quite nice. Um, but that's who I made the short film to. But it, it all that was the same year, 2009. And um, and anyway, doing the course, I ended up writing the first iteration of Double Word Score, which is my short film. Um, and how that came about was I, I just had to fulfil a brief, which was that we, as part of the course exercise, we had to make a short. And the rule was it had to be no longer, I think it was three to five minutes max. It had to have two characters and it had to be shot in one location because it had to be shot over a weekend. And there were two groups, because the, the, the whole group was quite large, so we were split into two groups. And, and there were a few of us who wanted to write, and we all swapped ideas. And then anyone who wanted to write, a, write the script, they, we had to basically pitch the idea to the group and the tutor, and then they had to take a vote on whose books would be made. 
I'm not... Can I stop you for a second? Yeah. How many people on the course were men and how many were women? That's that you can remember. That I can remember. I mean, this is going back yes. nearly to... Oh, my goodness, it's like eight, uh, nine years ago now. Um, it's a long time. Um, I feel like it wasn't quite a 50-50 split, but it was maybe 60-40, something like that. Like 60% men. 60% men, sorry. Yeah. I should have made that. <laughs> Obviously, it was men. Uh, no, I, there was... Um, although, actually, interestingly, yeah, there were more women than I had expected and more women who were older than me at the time, which I found interesting, who had come at it from... Uh, a different, um, you know, different industries and, and, and different interests, and um, yeah, that's quite. Yeah, that's that is interesting actually. I, it did feel like it was quite large, quite male, but okay. not, not entirely. Okay, but not hugely. No. So back to your group. So making the three to four minutes. Making short. the yeah, and so I. So who who? What was the makeup then? So some people were writers, some people weren't, and was there a gender? To- total mix. And actually, on the day of, of the shoot day, we had a professional DOP who was a woman and very experienced. So she. Um, lit everything and set up the camera and we all took turns to do different roles so no one was a director for a day no one was you know I, I was the only writer um, but the script did a pass so I, I should sorry skip back a step um, we pitched our films and mine was voted the one to yeah. use did you know about the Bechdel test? What, um, no. Were you even thinking about it? Because I had no of, idea what it yeah, was then. Some of the issue with this is that you go back to the very first step, the development and the idea and the writing, yeah. and people aren't even thinking about... And, and yours is, um, you know, we'll, we'll get to explaining yeah, the plot, yeah, yeah, but yeah. basically the two characters are a man and a woman. Yes. So there's no room for two women to talk to one another. No, about there's anything, no second woman. Let alone <laughs> not a man. There's yeah, no second sorry, woman. Sorry, carry, yeah. carry on. There is one woman, and she's literally there talking to a, a man about basically yeah. to try and address but it's very 50-50 it's 50-50 yeah <laughs> it's that, better than your course that, makeup that was, that was better than course makeup but that was interesting and actually yeah I yeah, and I, I was pitching it so there were men who had ideas as well um, and that was a real boost that people liked my idea oh, yes. and I only came up with the idea because of the brief and I, I, I was I couldn't think of anything my mind was a blank and then I remembered this pop song which was called Scrabble and it was basically the dynamic of the date playing out through and uh, through an evening and I was like this is brilliant this this whole narrative and that, and, and how one person thinks one thing and one person and the strategy that is involved is like a this is gonna sound like you know so pretentious but it is almost like the game being a metaphor for, for love yes is where I, I took it so that was obviously years ago when we did the film and it was an exercise and, and it was I, just three to four minutes at that and point and it was just the film I've seen about 11 yeah yeah exactly yeah. so that so that was that was the exercise version I think it's still knocking about on YouTube I'd love it to be taken down but it's, it's definitely on some film like where you've shown it oh yeah no the, 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 even the student version oh the student version around. no I haven't there seen are, there's an A and a B version and they're very different so they're like <laughs> And I slightly cringe at them now, but um, so that was that, and then and then I forgot about that film for ages. But I remember one of my course mates said, you know, you should develop it. And also, Darren, my course leader, we had a, we all had a drink at the end of the course to celebrate the end of the, the stuff. And, and he said, and we you know we had this little screening of our different versions, and we sort of dissected what worked, what didn't. And he said, oh, well, you know, that was a really nice little script. I think you should pursue it. And I was like, kind of buoyed up by that because he's a professional. He doesn't have to say you should do it if you. If you, if you didn't no. think I should, um, and I, even if he hadn't, I would still have gone ahead. But like, oh, but just having a voice from someone who feels like a figure of authority, mm. who knows what they're talking about, yeah, because he giving makes you books. a slight push is sometimes just it's worth its weight in gold. It absolutely was, and that really helped me. And then I didn't, um, 
I didn't uh, like think about the film or anything for ages and I just kind of parked it and then I can't remember it just came back into my head and it was sort of bugging me that I had the bug to, to make something I was like I've got all these scripts but I've got nothing on screen to show for it other than an exercise and so how long ago so what, what, what was the transition then from you finishing the course to actually to making, making it? it? Yeah, it was a couple of years. Like, I think maybe around 2012, I started thinking about... I, I, I spoke to two of my mates in the comedy group, um, Dan and Paul, who are very good, but they're also quite... Not, I don't want to say harsh critics, but if you ask for feedback, you're going to get very rigorous feedback, which is good, it's what you need. As they always, they kept telling me, there were times where I resisted their feedback, but then they said, <laughs> if I just tell you what's working about it, it's not going to get any better, because obviously what's working about it is already fine, but the stuff that needs developing. So I, I, I um, gave them the script, and they, um, we basically pulled it apart and, and developed it a lot more and made, gave it slightly more backstory or gave the, the characters a bit more substance because there wasn't like this restriction it had to be three to five minutes um so I, although i knew i was like well it's definitely a short it's clearly not a feature and i clearly wasn't going to make a feature and it's not a sketch either um but they liked the idea and they were on board with it so basically i just wrote and rewrote for eight what felt like forever and i felt like i'm never going to end this script it's gonna i'm beginning to hate it i was like i'm so sick of it yeah but i, I think like that. that i think that's <laughs> everyone who's ever written anything ever and I did, you know, and it also, yeah, and I, I felt like I had to re-get to know the characters, get to know why they would say things, and, and having people being to be accountable to, and I would say, set me a deadline for the next draft, because otherwise it won't get done. Like, yeah. So I'd just say, does it, it doesn't matter, it could be an arbitrary deadline, and I can move it if I want, but I, ne- I need a deadline to push me into writing that next draft. And so after that, um, that was kind of, yeah, I, I back and forth a lot of rewriting. And then we got to the point where I was like, right, enough. I think it's a, an, enough of a place where we can at least think about casting. And um, I decided we'd just shoot it at my flat because free location. Um, I didn't have a landlord, so I didn't need to ask anyone's permission. I could set dress it exactly how I wanted. I had 24-hour access. So I, I just was like, I've never made a film before, but I have got the advantage of, I've got plenty of production experience. I know I can work within my parameters. And so I just used my restrictions to my advantage. I was like, well, it, it's only ever going to be two people. It only ever needs to be one location. Um, and I and I had a very small crew, which was made up of people in the group. And my lovely flatmate, who was production assistant as well, I roped her in. Um, I thought, well, it's going to disrupt her day if we're filming anyway, so I may as well like bring her on board to help out. Um, so, yeah. How did you hire the actors? So they're professionals. Was, they seem they are, professional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. very good. Um, yeah. I mean, they, they were fantastic. That was quite an interesting experience because I'd never... I had done castings sort of as part of my job before, but mainly for I'd been involved in castings, not so much for drama or comedy, more for like um, factual stuff, so finding contributors and that kind yeah. of thing, for, which is a very different prospect. Um, finding talent for a film is, I think, I actually think it's the hardest thing to get right um, because, and actually, the, that was the biggest lesson that I learned from do, from all the research I did and from going to Q and A's with other professional directors. I remember, I think it was Ben Wheatley said something in a Q&A that um, he said if you've once you've got the cast right you're about 70% there or I don't know if it was exactly that but it was words to that effect yeah that you know and it's so true like you can work around some problems in sound you can work around um, some problems with post or you know there are things that you can you can fix you can't fix a bad performance or a performance you don't believe in 
Um, and so plus and, your own time and money as well. So um, if you yes. hit the wrong person, then they're there, and you know you have to do that. It must be so soul destroying if someone's not yeah, living absolutely. up to your yeah, expectations. Exactly. And so we didn't do the traditional audition where we. I mean, we did a casting spec, and that in itself was quite interesting. We put it out on all the, the usual kind of casting book pro, all the kind of free sites. Um, to see what came back. I had not been prepared for the avalanche of CVs that came through. Like, it was amazing, because I had a full-time job. I had a day job at that point. And, um, so what's an avalanche? Well, I'm saying, like, for me, it's, it was like, I think I must have had about 180 <gasps> or so. I mean, at different points. Yeah, and for both, for both roles. For both roles, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, it was a lot harder to cast for the male role than it was for the female. I mean, ah. Interestingly enough, and maybe it was because of the genre, so it's basically a rom-com, and I wonder if, because there's no action in it, and then the character was not like very alpha male at all, I wonder if that was... I don't, I don't know, it's, it's hard to know. Yeah. It's actually quite interesting as well. I was very... I was very clear on what the, the characteristics were, but I was very um, deliberately vague about things like age. I just put an age range, but I did not say any kind of ethnic backgrounds I wasn't interested in, any kind of accent. I didn't want just, um, you know, kind of rather RP, well-spoken accents. Um, you know, I, I, it, it wasn't relevant to the, the story or yeah. the characters. But actually, I got... I don't remember getting very many um, kind of... CVs or showreels from actors of different ethnicities particularly like I don't know whether that was they read the story in a particular way um, or just or, or just passed over people it could be that they are so used to being specifically asked for and it's a rarer recurrence that if it doesn't say that they might have thought it's some kind of like um, yeah it like uh, implied be a white Caucasian I yeah. don't know and it yeah. was and so yeah because both characters ended up both both characters end up being played by yeah, kind of white people. It yeah. was never um, a thing that, that that they had to be because it really isn't relevant. It could have been any kind of uh, background. In fact, the the only, cause the most different um, person that I met was a guy from Iceland, and in the end, it just wasn't quite right for the for the role. But like, and I didn't know if his accent would be a problem. But he, he was really interesting, and he said a short thing with me that was like. Um, I didn't, no, it was all in Icelandic with no subtitles and it was so bizarre all I understood was that he played the flatmate of a guy who was just sitting in a dress crying and he poured a bottle of Dr Pepper into his cereal and was just sitting so great with him I was like this is so bizarre but I'm quite enjoying it I want to see it yeah, I, I, I couldn't tell you what it was about other than there was this weeping man in a dress but, um, but yeah we didn't um, instead of auditioning in the traditional way of like you know setting up a table and going and going alright doing one or whatever hmm. which is you know fine that's how a lot of auditions happen um, neither me or Dan who's the producer were interested in that we were like well we want to know if we can work with them that's the most important thing we'll know if we have the right dynamic so we met loads of and some people and that was the hardest part for me meeting people who were lovely and extremely talented like I like their showreels I like what they were about but they weren't right for the role and having to play bad cop like even for a low budget you know um, sure and I was amazed like there was even one actor who's who had a bit of a profile and I thought why are you coming to like I have no money <laughs> like I, yeah. I'm not I'm not well known um, and I and I asked people why every time I said what is it that interests you about this film 
And they said, well, to be honest, it was the fact that you wrote the, the character breakdown was that the spec was well written and you'd be surprised <laughs> by how often it's not. And yeah. it's like, and I, I really gave me, a, I, I, I respect actors for what they do anyway, but they really get put through a lot, especially women. Some of the sort of misogynistic nonsense that is written on, um, on just on a character spec. And this is for like the low to no paid stuff. And you're like, who are you? And, but people will audition for it because they want a show reel. Yes. And, and they just accept that it's how it is. Yeah. But it doesn't mean it's not soul destroying. So I think that they were just like, oh wow, something that is not like demoralizing or it's not poorly written. So that meant a lot to me. Because I thought, well, as a filmmaker, if you can't even be bothered to write your spec and run a spell check through it and, and check that at least it kind of makes sense and is engaging, how can you expect anyone to be interested in being in your film? It doesn't make any sense. Exactly. And also I found with my script writing that I am now obsessed with big character bios, which probably won't interest a lot of people yeah. like there's too much. And I'm like, I would still rather have much better descriptions of my characters. Yeah. Especially if you have lots of people. It's, with a two-hander at least you know you can just go into the detail. Yeah, absolutely. Too. I want to feel like every single person who may take even a small role knows who they're supposed to be yeah. and you don't see that in enough scripts not even in you know famous Oscar winning scripts yeah. you, you see and that's where casting directors come in and things like that on a bigger project but of something course, like this yeah. you, you had an idea yeah, and I do think that um, yeah, there's there's a there's a discrimination thing here because I think in a script if it says man, there are often a lot more descriptors after that. Yeah, because everyone who's making a film is is assuming that the lead character is going to be a man, and yeah. therefore how do you uh, define him versus all other. Um, script characters yeah. because every leading man is a leading man whereas I think in other subordinate characters which often the second woman is not in your film whatsoever if anything the lead is the woman but it's very yeah. much co-lead yeah. Um, uh, yeah in in, in other the the second role is, is is always less well described before you even get to the fact totally. that they might be reacting to other things in the dialogue yeah too so yeah so back to you found and uh, did you do chemistry reading Yes, so you I found did. Two people. Yeah, I yeah. did, um, and that was exactly that was for phase two, and uh, and we got Katie on board first, um, who plays Holly, um, and and it just I just kind of knew straight away. And actually, we ended up in a situation where we had two pairs. The idea was we were always going to do right. We'll find one, find the other, and then we'll work out who do we think could work as a pair, as a potential couple. Um, so we did a chemistry read with each pair. And then there was always the opportunity to mix up the pairs if it, if it kind of worked out well. So we did this chemistry read at my flat, which I, thought, I was like, is this going to be weird for them? But I'm like, well, this is the set What's of the, the location, film. Yeah. location, yeah. <laughs> so I just went ahead and did it, and it was quite funny. And, like, um, I can't remember why, but in one scene, I actually played the male character. And I, just, and I was just, it was so handy because I'm not an actor in any way. Um, but then, I, you know, I kind of did this chemistry read with the two pairs, and it was quite clear by that point which one I was going to go with. So I kind of let them know, and then yeah, and then we oh, did just, you pay them? Yes. Yeah. I mean, not it wasn't like industry rates. Like no. we, we had very little money, but we were always very clear that we would cover expenses, and everyone be fed, and everyone's you know travel and stuff would yeah. be fine. And actually, at the end, um, I 
gave Katie the dress that she wore in the film oh. as a kind of like gift as yeah. a kind of to end in the film. I think um, John wore his own clothes, I think. Uh, but, uh, but that was the thing. I, after that, once they were on board, um, I said, look, I, I think filming date's going to be in summer, but let me know what dates you can and can't do. Yeah. That was then the logistics of everyone in the crew, everyone in the cast. Yes. And it was actually several months. Uh, it, was, it took uh, several months to, to lock down the cast. Then after that, of course, you know, they were both, you know, actors, but who had jobs as well. Yeah, who might be getting a pay, paid gig and I, and I always on a weekend said, yeah, and might want to be. Absolutely. And I always said, whoever I work with in this goes for future projects. And especially now that I'm freelance, I'm like, work, you know, the big paying, your bill paying work comes first. We will work around you. And I think if you're an independent filmmaker or someone who is, is making films on the side, you always have to consider, like, you know, unless what you you can pay them compensates for a day's wage for them you have to take the hit and go okay well we'll we'll knock it back a bit um and because it was always going to be like a a one weekend shoot it didn't matter so much i was like well we'll just move it back and because it was it was all mainly interiors the time of year didn't really matter so i was like well i'm not the script is not that restrictive i can get access to the flat because i live there um (laughs) and i can and we can you know figure out the lighting and stuff so it, it did take it was a bit of a nightmare just figuring out the crew because also like you know um you know having dear who's a professional photographer like you know his work came first um can you just just um you're you're kind of crushing on that so talk um, us through the process because i think this is just interesting for anyone yeah so how many other people were involved with the film and how many people were there on set that you needed in order yeah. to make it very few actually so her dad who's my producer my friend paul was basically script supervisor and script editor there was quite a lot of doubling up of roles of um, matt did sound for half of it um so my friend, he also edited the film. So you had like a sound designer who's also an editor. So his, was he there with Boom and all of that he at was, the time? Yeah, he, and then he took it through to yeah. the editing at the other end. He, so he did, he did one day of sound and then Dan, who's the producer, um, also knows how to operate sound. So he actually operated sound on day two. So it ended up being very much a kind of interchangeable thing. Yeah. I didn't have an art director, I think. Um, and I had one production assistant, who was my flatmate Gillian, who yeah. was helping... So, um, you know, she helped me because it all centers around this sort of Scrabble game um, over the course of an evening. And so I had two Scrabble boards. One was like the one that was used to set up the shots and then the other one was... So we just swapped them out because I was like, right, how am I going to make this really fast? I did a lot of kind of production jobs myself. um, And that's one of the things I, I... I would learn for next time is like well, I'm going to try and delegate more because I was like printing out like um, props lists and doing all this stuff and getting you know forms for the actors and that's my production head kicking in I'm like yeah. right what's the legal stuff what do I need yeah. even for something <laughs> of that scale and size and sometimes even you know it's, I've never been asked when I've submitted to a festival for that stuff but they can potentially ask you yeah um what you know, or if you're, you know, you might be submitting to, to say a shorts program on the BBC or Channel Four. Yeah, they will definitely because they need to be compliant. Oh yes, and that, having worked as a production assistant, I know all about compliance. So, so it was really helpful it for was you really to have that experience, yeah. even though you didn't know you'd be using it. Absolutely, make your own film. It was my, it was basically my training. Um, and I, so I'm, I, it, you know, that time in TV was not wasted. No. And although that's not the super creative side, um, that's the thing no one tells you about filmmaking is there's so much admin. An organisation. <laughs> an organisation. Yes, and definitely. I'm, I'm quite an organised person. And it's, I don't believe that you 
you're either one or the other. You can be organised and yeah. creative. So even though you had your friend as the producer, ultimately you wrote this, you directed this, it was your idea, it's yeah. your baby. Yeah, it absolutely really. is. And yeah. I, I guess I ended up doing a bit of co-producing as well, though I didn't have a producer credit. Uh, I didn't want one. I was like, I've already got written, writer, director. That's That was my big thing. Um, I have this obsession with Steven Soderbergh. I don't know if you know that he does loads and loads. Of, he does, sometimes he's his own cinematographer. Yes. He's his own editor. And he gives himself different names. Does he? Yes. I didn't know that. Yes. That's hilarious. So sometimes he has three different names on the same film. And they're all him. That's interesting because... <laughs> I'm, 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 she, she gets paid for all of yeah, them. Yeah, well, he must have. That's quite interesting because... Um, so I just watched Logan Lucky. A I love that weeks film. ago. It's really yeah. funny, but the, the writer, there's a bit yes. of mystery over who she well, is. Is she real? Is Rebecca Blunt okay, a real Okay, so person? the latest that I found out, because I'm so glad you're obsessed with this like yeah, I am. No, lovely. she's not. That name is not a real person. Mm. However, Stephen Soderbergh is married to Jules uh, Asner, Jules Asner, who is quite famous um, in TV and current affairs, I think, in America. Yeah. And I think it's hers. But what I really oh. hope, but I'm worried, and she said she has come out and said I didn't want it to be oh I wrote this for my husband yeah, a kind yeah, of nepotism yeah, I thing. understand but the flip side of that from my perspective is why should that be making a big deal yeah I want a female screenwriter writing a Stephen Soderbergh film and it's a brilliant script it's, it's really, really clever it's a really funny, good script classic yeah. heist don't didn't know what was coming it's like and a screwball comedy yeah, yeah exactly I really enjoyed it but like I'm worried that it's him again yeah. And it's even well, worse that's, I think, what if she's thinks. taking the flack. Yeah, so what, why why not? If it's hers, shout about I it. Know. I don't care about the nepotism it's, it's thing. A you still 22. wrote it because it's good. It's, nepotism is when people are getting an, an, an in in an industry where anybody could do the job. Yes. But writing a really good screenplay is something that not everybody can do. Absolutely. And if you're and a woman doing it in a huge film with Channing Tatum in it and yeah. Daniel Craig, then you... Yeah, so I'm... I hope that it is her. I hope that there was just some silly game because he likes to play this and I hope she'll yeah. write more. I will be disappointed if it turns out that it's him yeah. again. Well, because I thought maybe it was, but just because there was... He's done that like, before, well, but it's not even a man. Like, <laughs> He's no, had a you know, She's not turned up to any kind of ceremonies. She's not anywhere to be seen. And it's such a common name that it, you could Google Rebecca Blunt and you'll get... Hundreds yeah, and hundreds loads of, of names. people, and and this is no detriment to a woman. This is detriment to screenwriters. It's a really tight plot. It yeah, doesn't yeah, feel yeah. like something that a first-time screenwriter writes. Now no, that's not the case. I'm sure there might be some people. No, I agree. But to have something that's so well plotted and has the ups and downs is, and it's like you know, it's in the Ocean's Eleven. Uh, canon, which is obviously yeah. a Stephen Soderbergh. Well, they call it Ocean Seven Eleven, which is genius. <laughs> I think that is actually a line in the, yeah. in the script. Yes, I saw. And that I was like, that is brilliant. Yeah. That's so good. So um, yes, yeah, so this kind of brings us round to because um, I think we should carry on talking about this because it's fascinating. But also the kind of the stages and the role of gender. Yeah. within them so you talked about your crew and your cast 50-50 yeah. in your cast because there's two roles yeah. and it's two a handling. romance a heteronormative romance very what much the hell? so yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the only kind I know unfortunately yeah. so it's like well I'm just going to write from an honest yeah. perspective I have no problem with that it's yeah. more the fact that um, I need to do a whole episode on LGBTQ yeah. so let's just park that because it's not something I've been, yeah, no. I feel so unconfident about I think about we did discuss it. it we did say well could this you know but yeah. I, I would have actually had to have rewritten the entire character 
um, the male character, Jack, because I would be, it was part of my interest in writing a kind of heteronormative, was the different ways men and women see dating. Yes. And that's the dynamic that I try and figure out and yeah. try and understand. I, having never dated a woman, I, c I could write about that, but it's not. It wouldn't feel as honest. Wouldn't come from the heart. No, yeah. it wouldn't. And I had to write, and that was one of the things I found hardest was to write because people go, "Is that your life?" And I'm like, "No, it's just my flat, and I wrote it, but it's not." I, I well, and it feels real. It doesn't have to necessarily be the exact set of circumstances no, that happens to you, because also it plays out too well. Yeah, too, yeah, it's yeah, too yeah. clean. No, exactly. <laughs> it's real and actually, I would hate. Uh, you know, people were like. Is that your idea of like an amazing first date? Because that's really weird. And I'm like, no, it really isn't. So just for clarity, it's a, it's a, it's a Scrabble game and like, she invites him around. And basically, also, it's a distraction technique. It's like, well, if conversation isn't going well, we've got the Scrabble. Yeah. And, it, and she loves language and she loves, um, you know, gameplay. And it's sort of, you know, they're reading signals across the board. And obviously, you've got the opportunity of a very contrived Scrabble. Oh, look, they've perfectly got the, these, the tiles of a line yeah. for them to write these kind of messages to each other. That was the only bit that annoyed me. Because oh, really? I was just yeah. like, I've played Scrabble so many times it and you never, never get yeah. seven letters. No, that's, that's absolutely a complete <laughs> but Everybody knows that. Everyone knows that. I, I was yeah. like, yeah, if, if it did kind of mess up and we would also go on for about seven hours and it would be awful. So I had I had to like, had to rein that in. Um, and I, I played several hands of solo Scrabble to work out that I got so obsessed with the different word combinations. But I just like the. Yeah, these are yeah. the things that you don't see in the finished product. This is yeah, what I love yeah, about yeah. the filmmaking process: is that no one will see that you did that. No. But but they will see that something works out perfectly, and it's because you practiced and thought it through and played the roles yeah, yourself. I have. Yeah. yeah, I've sat there and imagined what they are thinking at that time, mm. and what you know, um, and and all of that stuff. And it's so fun. The, the most fun thing was when I'm, I watched it. Um, so I, I haven't watched it for ages, but I, it, I was at a screening um, in New York, and I was really nervous because I thought, "Well, is this like really British? And like, is the humour going to translate?" People always say humor, comedy doesn't translate, which I actually think is total rubbish. I do think it's British humour, though. Yeah, Normally, it wouldn't translate. No, I think, it's, I think they act yeah. in quite. A, I think Holly particularly is quite quintessentially yes. British, and Katie's sisters love kind of English Rose type. Yeah. And there's a little bit of stiff upper lipness. And yeah, not yeah. Saying they're, they're quite mannered. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Everyone is, or everyone, all two people <laughs> are massively repre emotionally repressed <laughs> individuals. Um, and, you know, which obviously I wrote, so I relate to that. And it's like, oh, I can't say this thing. It's really hard. That's probably what appeals to the and New yeah, York crowd. And, and New Yorkers are much more on the nose. And I thought, are they going to think this is just really twee and, and kind of crap? But actually, there's one bit in, uh, and I'm not going to do a spoiler for this film that you may or may not want to watch. It's only 11 minutes of your time. <laughs> yeah. Technically, it's 10 minutes 43 with credits. Sorry, yes. <laughs> Just so you want to go make a cup of tea in like, those last few seconds. Um, yeah, and, and like, so the kind of, I suppose that the only bit of action, like, in the kind of, it's a dramatic bit, in the kind of three quarters of the way through in the film, and this one guy went, oh no! And it was like the best reaction I could have hoped for, because I was like, yes, that was the moment. And actually, that shot, um, John did in one take. I thought we're gonna to have to set this up and do it again and set this up again. Yes, because how could you get the board all right? And I know. So, like, <laughs> and it, I was watching it and thinking yeah. these things. No, going, he did. He did it. I just. Um, in fact, I'm, am I allowed to swear in this? Like, yes. I'm really, I really just, <laughs> it was the bit, the bit of direction that is my absolute favourite thing that I remember. So not that I remember what I said particularly, but like I just remember going, right, just whenever you're ready, just fucking go for it. <laughs> and, 
That's because you're getting wrapped up. That's what you're doing. And you really do. Yeah. That's the thing. And I um, and actually on that note, I realised that you it's the job. So much of your job as a director is not just because I'm not a very technical person. So um, I lent very heavily on my DOP and yeah. producer for the kind of the angles and stuff like that. I knew I have my vision and stuff, but I was really focused on the on the spoken like a true author. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I heard about that, but like. Um, I was really focused on getting the best performances out and they both have very different acting styles. Katie was very, I wouldn't say method exactly, but she was like, I was talking to her and then she went, oh yeah, I get that. And then she went, I'm being Holly by the way. I went, oh yeah, that's fine. Because <laughs> her face was so serious in that moment yeah. and I was like, mm, yeah, okay. But then John was very playful and the minute we stopped rolling, he would be like singing little songs and darting about and, you know, messing around. And that's fine. And, and I, I think that I comes to the to... performance well yeah. I like the bit when his glasses are off and his lost yeah, hair yeah. is a perfect <laughs> visual representation yeah, I know. of everything that's happened I know I looked at that I thought yeah. is that have I just made a carry on film no no no, no I didn't know no. no, I thought, no, I, thought I have all these thoughts yeah. in my head not everything has to be expressed no. by the, exactly. the word there aren't yeah. very many words in it at no. all it must have been a script full of action yes it was directions and that was the, the whole thing it's quite a minimal script yeah um there were a couple of lines that are left over from the the, um, the very first iteration of the script, which um, uh, where there's a silly pun, which could be construed as a sexist pun, which leads to this misunderstanding. And I was like, I have just done. I was like, I've written basically a feminist boob joke, <laughs> and I was like, I'm that's fine. I'm fine with that. But it is. Yeah. It, but actually, John, I think hated that line because he didn't know how to. He was like. How do I say it? I don't want to be a dick. And it's like, no, no, no. The point is, you say it thinking that you're being sort of playful, and it has a double meaning. And that's and that's and it illustrates like what he says to her. Um, so I just say what he says. So it yeah. makes sense. It so, went, it so basically, they're, they're talking yeah. about Scrabble. Uh, they're, they're playing Scrabble, obviously. And she says something like, "I just don't know where to go next." So she's looking at um, she's looking at a kind of not a very you know promising. Uh, you know, set of tiles that she's faced with her next move, and then he goes, "Oh, I bet you've got a great rack over there." And then she just kind of glares at him. But then it's it's not that she glares at him that she's pissed off, but he's like, "Oh," and it's that horrible. Yeah. No, no one says anything in that reaction. And but he found it really hard. And then she kind of softens her look. But when she softens her look, he doesn't see. And it's that thing of it's the whole film is really about misunderstanding and miscommunication and language and how you know. Well, I think that perfectly distills the idea of how prescient your film was and you didn't even realise given what's happening in the world today. Yeah. So there is a whole thing that we could, you know, we could talk for two hours on a man saying something to a woman and it being misunderstood and right, should yeah. he be saying it in the first place. And the fact of the matter is that's a brilliant example because he is making a literal statement there's yeah. also a double entendre but yeah but basically he's saying something that can be taken in more than one way absolutely and this is the difficulty we have in modern communication mm. in a post weinstein world which yeah. is you know you have all these famous people have come out and they're criticizing oh a man can't say anything now yeah, and, yeah, and that yeah. film and in your film that tiny little section the fact that your actor Found it hard to say yeah. is something in itself. And that so was then. That was commentary. pre Weinstein yeah. Gate. You yeah. Know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 also that sh just shows that people can read things and they can see of whatever gender mm. they are, whoever they are, that there might be issues. And two, it is how it's played. And you also, you know, this is a comedy, so yeah. you are playing it. And I think that 
comedy is one of the genres where you you see so much more like um, misogyny or oh, yes. all, all sorts of it's not just about women all sorts of discrimination you can, you can manifesting yeah. as humor and yours is light-hearted and, and isn't really that it's yeah. like yeah and I suppose maybe you know she didn't have a low-cut top on or anything no. where you didn't have the, you didn't have the male gaze no. you did not have you looking at no, it wasn't like the camera suddenly went it's about male openness <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I find fascinating about women in the film industry and I kind of um, I mentioned this in an earlier podcast where I was, actually no it's not an earlier one it's one I haven't um, put up yet but one I've recorded where I talk about Wonder Woman okay. and the female gaze versus the male gaze yeah. and that a lot of people have criticised um, the character because of how Wonder Woman is dressed in yeah. the new a DC film but actually it doesn't matter how you're dressed it's how the director sees you mm. and portrays it at no point when I was watching that film did I feel like she was sexualised no. and in no way when I was watching that joke did I feel like it, it was sexualised yeah. or supposed to even make him like look bad either he wasn't being yeah. a, a sexist man he was just right. saying that he was accidentally he, making yeah. it a montage and, and this was at a point in the film where the mood has changed slightly so there's a montage that precedes that where you see their guards are coming down and he's testing the water a little bit and that is dating in general is fraught with that where you, you're like well, if I don't flirt at all, then I've no idea what that person's reaction is. Like, you know, are we just going to be friends? Do I just go home? And so, it and it was, and the film is set up flat as well. And yeah. I thought that was quite presumptuous. Obviously, you had your location. Yeah, yeah. No, it's quite presumptuous in a way. In a flat, yes. which. I would never it do. It probably happens now, much more. Yeah, I mean, but the idea... Or it may happen now. There's very little exposition about how they met. Um, and they met, basically, they meet once at a party. So they are they have mutual friends. So I think the fact that there is already... Um, there's already kind of a common connection. It's less... I think for both of them, they're like, all oh, right, well, we know someone. So they're not... That person's not necessarily, you know, a, a threat necessarily, or you know, a big problem. But you, you've no idea because you meet someone at a party, they could be entirely different, you know, one to one. And Alcohol. So, yeah. <laughs> but I think for her, I think, and she's taking it, yeah, a bit of a gamble, inviting this this guy around to her flat. But she has met him. She knows the friend in common. And it's, you know, the likelihood she she's probably had a conversation with him. What's his history with women and like? How you know, or maybe not. Actually, she's quite guarded. In there, and no, neither you don't need it. it. You don't yeah. need it. Like in the classic, because this is the premise of this is not interesting enough to be you know stretched out over a feature film. It's it's very kind of short. So it's basically fast forwarding through action, yeah. basically and just getting to the point. But like. Um, you know, in the classic rom-com setup, we'd have a best friend going, well, I just don't know, and maybe, you know, does he even like Scrabble? Is this a terrible idea? And it's like, there's no kind of best friend gossip or like, and actually, Polly, the You still wouldn't character. pass the Bechdel test with that either. No, talk, you know, that would be worse. I think about that would be guys. <laughs> Well, yeah, and actually, um, is this a good point to start talking about the test then? I think, I think so. Well, what I wanted to quickly bring in, before, because I think we should definitely get to that, but I think that, um, uh, I think one thing that I just noticed when you were talking about this mm. is that all the major technical roles you had were men. Yeah. So, and I think that that sounds a little bit like that's just how you came across people yeah. and you and you chose people you knew who were willing to help mm -hmm. you. Did you when you get to, when you got to the then so the finished finished article and you're submitting it for film yeah. festivals? Did you feel like again this was a more male oriented 
industry because there are so many more male filmmakers. I don't yes. know about festival runners, like you were talking off mic about the Girl Festival, Brooklyn. Yeah, Brooklyn Girl, Girl Film Festival. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, a lot. Of, there's a lot of women in film programming, and a lot. And actually, interesting now, there seem to be, a, especially younger film critics, tend to be. There's a lot more women coming into where before it was very much, and it's still, I think, in, to a certain level, it's still quite a boys' club. But I, I feel like there is an interesting things happening within the world of film criticism and peripheral. You know, the film industry is much bigger than just production and who's behind or in front of the camera. I think that's quite important. And there are a lot of female technicians. I think in one of your previous episodes, you talked about how there's there's quite a good history of female editors. Pauline said that, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I absolutely would agree with that. And that's true. Um, I worked mainly in television rather than film, but that was certainly true of television. And um, and I know it to be true of film and post production. I I start I actually started in post production, weirdly not in production. And that was that was quite a good gender split between the male and female, yeah. or, or at least there were women um, working in technical roles. Yeah. They weren't just you know producers as as is often the, you know seen to be the case. Um, but yeah, why I worked with men is just that was the dynamic of the group. There were a lot of women in the group who are women. Uh, there were women in the group. Sorry, there are women who are women. <laughs> that didn't make sense. They. Um, Women but with they a are, specific job. No, but they were women performers. Rather, they weren't right. actually interested in um, necessarily. I was. I was the only, act, you know, pure writer and director. The, the others were men. But it's not a huge group as well, to be fair. So I just worked with who was to hand. But funny enough, my friend. I was having dinner with a friend around like a couple of years ago, and she said, "It's interesting how you you off, you seem to mainly work with men." And I was like. Yeah, it was never deliberate. It was never. Um, since then, though, I do. I have written, co-written stuff with with women and other women, and I have um, a fr- another a, another a friend who's a director, Emma Miranda Moore. She's a filmmaker and um, does a lot of commercial work as well. And we've kind of talked, but we you know we've done a bit of pitching together and some stuff. Yeah. And um, and that that actually came about after this film, and I was well, I wanted to pitch for a. I think it was Film London scheme called Shakespeare's Sister, and all of the teams had to have a female or female identifying. Obviously, that could be trans as well. Yeah. Um, or non-binary, however you define yourself. But yeah. they, they had to basically be made up of female identifying um, core crew of core teams. Sorry, of director, producer, and writer. Wow. And I was just like, well, I'm not going to go forward as a director because I don't have enough credits or experience. But I, I would like to focus on the writing. So I, I through Film London Talent Connect, I kind of put a thing saying, I'm, up, I'm looking for a producer and a director. And then she kind of got back to me, and then she, then we found she had she had a friend who was a producer as well. And so we, we pitched. We didn't get it, but it, it led to a kind of film friendship. And now we kind of said, you know, well, we, we kind of try and meet up regularly and we talk about our stuff. So even if we're not working together on a project, it's still someone else who understands, who you can bounce ideas back and forth with. So, although, and that might then lead to me potentially making stuff with other people. You know, I'd love to work with a female DOP. I'm actually looking, I'm going to be looking for an art director pretty soon, and I and that will, I would love for that to be a woman. It's actually, um, it's a two-hander again, but it's two women. So, Woo-hoo! so yeah, so that will pass the yeah. Well, it depends. If they spend the whole time talking about Hitler, yeah. then it's not going yeah. to. I mean, that would be very depressing and offensive. So <laughs> or any man. They're not going to. Do- I love the way you just went. You, you could have I just, just thought, you went straight yeah. for Hitler. I just thought, who's the worst possible man I mean, you could spend? Yeah, he, he, I mean, as far as people are concerned, he's the worst. There are other people who are also yeah, up there. In fact, there, yes, he, I'd like to make it very clear, you could talk about Barack Obama for the whole of the thing and you'd yeah, still be failing. You 
still be paying. <laughs> also, as much as I do like Barack Obama, I would get bored if that all yeah. that's literally all that they talked about. Um, so I want to talk about that, but I just quickly so I'll forget my train of thought. So it yes. seems to me here that you know this podcast is about what can we do to make things better yes. how are things working at the moment sure and i think you identified there that there are two strands here one strand is about other people about people in the industry or who make film festivals or competitions and yeah, the yeah, other yeah. strand is about us ourselves as women wanting to make films yes so i think it sounds like that shakespeare's sister project is the perfect example yeah. because you have a body that has decided that it's going to positively discriminate yes. in order to get something made and I do feel like and again sweeping generalisation about the female gender we don't often do things unless we're really really asked to do it pushed to do encouraged yes. if we, yeah, we need more true. encouragement yeah. definitely and, and I mean this yeah LGBTQ as well like the other other le- less groups not the, the male white cis patriarchy making films yeah. so that's so that's one and I'm so glad to hear that things like that are happening and I think they are yeah. happening and they're happening more, more and more actually, yeah and the second thing as well is is that you had to decide to do it I thought it was quite interesting that you decided not to go for the director because to me yeah. your short film is enough of a credit you make really? one thing you can make another thing that's how I see it you've done yeah. the whole thing but I understand that because I feel the same way as you if it yeah. was me I'd be like oh I haven't done enough yeah yeah it's always holding women, women I back. I know, and, there's no, and there was no reason for mm. me... Yeah, I was putting that on myself. No one was telling me, you're not good enough no. to do it. I mean, they might further down the line, but at that point, at the point of just applying, yeah. but I felt I had a better shot if I had to yeah, director. Yeah. And also, I, I had, at that point, also decided to change tack a little bit, because I am a writer-director, but I, I kind of almost describe myself as a writer with a capital W, director with a small d, yeah. in that I know what comes first. I, I'm yes. a writer first. And I almost kind of became a director or decided to do some directing um, as a means to getting stuff yes. made, as a means to having credits. Um, and I think, actually, I know people like um, the Duplass brothers are very vocal about um, you should just, you know, if you're a writer, get your stuff made, um, you know, and, and actually there's a lot of... Um, oh, but directing and is so... Like the, the concept of all the things you have to do is for me as a yeah. writer is sounds so much more anxiety inducing. It's a, it's a lot more work. I mean, not that yeah. writing isn't hard, but writing is you're focusing your all your energy and ideas into one discipline. Um, and also as a writer, you're the burden of like the logistics and how you're going to actually make this scene play out isn't on you. Become someone else's problem. But when you're yeah. suddenly the director, you're like, oh, how's that going to work? But it probably teaches you to be a better writer because you realise I, I did yeah. not put that direction on the page. Now yeah. I've got to think about how to visualise that. Absolutely, so. and it is inter- and, and I think it, I think one does help the other. And I think even if you just direct something as an exercise to help your writing and to understand how performances uh, you know are extracted from, from what is there on the page I think that is definitely worth doing whether you want to become a, a working director or not I think you need to do it figure it out and if it's not for you then you know you know I've, I've, I've worked with a friend who did the similar thing like he's he's mainly he's a screenwriter made us short as a director and went yeah I think you know you, you know he, he feels I don't 100% agree, but I, I get where he's coming from, that you're really either one or another. Very few people do both things as well as the other. And I think there is a certain truth to it, but... Um, but so, so, you, you look know. at anybody else's work, you always have that distance. 
So I think yeah. you can look at it, and I think you can add something to it. If you're yeah. script editing or if you're directing and looking at uh, a script, you can always, you have that distance. And I don't see how, with my own writing, the only way I find distance is leaving something for a long time. Absolutely. But I'm also an impatient person. <laughs> yeah. But you cannot, that's the only way that you can establish a, that that degree of yeah. distance. So I think that I can understand why people don't want to do both. But yes, so you have the strand of the film festival, you have the strand of what you wanted to go for and you made contacts from it and you decided you wanted to work on something. So yeah. I'm, my, my, I'm trying to kind of think, is there advice we can give? And it seems to me that it's um, go for these things. Yeah. Put yourself forward, search these things, and find other people to work with. There is so much Definitely. proactivity involved, unfortunately. Yeah, F film creativity and, and filmmaking is not. I mean, you mentioned the word auteur earlier, but actually, I think the auteur theory is quite flawed and, and genuinely like it might be one person's vision, but it takes a whole load of people. It's like that cheesy saying, what is it? It takes a village. It takes a village. And, but it does. I hope you're ready for a challenge. Challenge? Oh, don't look so worried. We both know you're a player. I mean, you like playing games. You told me you didn't really like playing cards. And you'd much rather play Scrabble? Scrabble? <laughs> of course. I mean, I live in London, like a lot of people who make films. But at the same time, I think now, um, you know, there are really interesting films that are coming out of different parts. Even just this country, like last year, I thought was amazing for British film. And God's Own Country was an incredible film. And you know, imagine pitching that, just like, oh yeah, it's set in uh, rural Yorkshire and it's, and it's a, like a, you know, a gay love story, but there's also elements of Brexit Britain and, and all of those things, the melting pot. And, and, it's, and I think it's doing quite well in America, and, and I love that. And it was, a, it was an incredible film. And it's not, you know, it's, and, it, and it wasn't sort of London-centric, and it wasn't, and it was about something that you rarely, you know, don't see on screen very often. Yeah. And I went to this thing, going back to Carol Morley, I went to a screening. There's, there was this brilliant um, local event uh, cinema near where I live in Crouch End called um, A Woman's Work. And I don't think it's on anymore, but it was run by Kate Hardy, who's an, yeah. and, you know, she's an actor and director. And she started every single... Um, every screening with she'd do the, the depressing stats and she'd talk about I think it's like 11% of um, directors yeah. are female no 11% of screenwriters 7% are directors something like that yes, I mean, it's, it so, it's so and low. if you get into people of colour it just gets really it gets really depressing it just turns into it's not even a puddle yeah and, and then and then she said something interesting that in America which obviously has a huge film school culture the gender split is about 50-50 film school is actually quite um, a more progressive but then the, and, and then something changes when people leave. It's when they leave, but they get into festivals. So the festival scene is obviously huge in America, and they'll do South by Southwest, they'll do Sundance, and women will get uh, an indie hit at South by, uh, you know, or Sundance, or wherever. The, the whole circuit, fantastic festival, yeah. all of these places. But they won't then get a studio offer, but the men will. And I found that so depressing, because I was like, but they've already, they've proven they have an audience, they've proven they can make the films. Is that about their negotiating? Again, look, I'm doing the classic thing. I'm doing the thing where I'm trying to see how I can don't get the know. woman to solve the problem. Don't, don't know. But it can't be, that, that can't be the case on mass. It can't be, well, women just don't speak up for themselves. It's got to, there's got to be, I think also, the problem is at the top level, who are the studio execs? They're still men, they're still blue. So I think, I, I think 
think another issue, and I kind of alluded this to earlier when we were speaking off mic, is that a true patriarchy puts men at the top and has men and women thinking that men are the best. Yeah. So yes, you have all those men at the top, but there, there are lots of female film um, studio runners now, or, or yeah, it's um, true. Producers. TV is better. But they, I think. but they are thinking about their audience, and then they're thinking, no, it might be better if it's man, or no, it might be better yeah. if this idea. It, I still think it's a fact that society as a whole, no matter what your gender, thinks that male subjects, male film writers, male film directors will probably make more money more quickly and it is a business yeah oh it is a business absolutely and actually yeah there's lots of good points in that and um i can't remember what was going to that oh there was something that came up actually going back to this kate hardy thing yeah she said a lot of what happens to a lot of women particularly in tv is they'll go they'll pitch an idea and then the execs will go oh yeah we already had oh we've already had a woman led show yeah we've already got we had transparent last year so we don't need we don't need another one yeah, like we got one of those who can trans like, oh, right. okay. and i was like really depressed by that but yeah what was good about that was the sense of community so i i um alice lowe's a guest and then another time carol morley was showing her first film i think it was documentary for the alcohol years which was mainly people berating her on camera about what an awful person she was when <laughs> she was like young and drunk and i was like this is quite Painful. It was a really interesting documentary, but really raw, really brutal. Yes. And I just love her as well. I think she's a brilliant director anyway. But she was very, she's very candid as well. And she says, yeah, but I have, you know, I spend loads of time writing funding applications that never go anywhere. Like, you know, so when something is happening, it's like really great. And she's, she's, you know, a professional filmmaker who's had critical acclaim. You know, not just the Falling. I think was probably her biggest film because also her first two films. Well, she went from documentaries to docudrama to uh, to pure drama. And it didn't hurt, I guess, like her film starring Maisie Williams, like at the height of the kind of Game of yes. Thrones mania. I do think that's the new thing now. Where if you can get someone else to all, like get someone that's been in Game of Thrones, even for one episode, you can stick that. Repose that's a large cast. Yes. Well, they call it stunt casting, don't they? Yeah. When you get someone. From but also, she's very good, so... Yes. Oh, amazing. May I have absolute silence? Sit. Stand. Silence in the corridors and communal areas. Skirts no more than two inches from the ground when kneeling. You're quite an influence on the others. You are not to fraternise with any of these girls. Nobody knows who I am anymore. What I'm really like. What I think about doing. Let's finally talk about the Bechdel yes. test. So, okay. Um, firstly, your initial thoughts. That's what I generally ask people. Yeah. So, do you think it's helpful? Yes, I think it is as a, not necessarily as a barometer for oral, or, or kind of, the, of, a, of a kind of rating system. Which, by the way, I don't think that Alison Bechdel ever intended it to be. I think she herself was doing it slightly tongue-in-cheek. So yeah. it's important to remember the intention. And she said, I think in an interview about it a few years ago, she said, well, I'm glad that mainstream culture is catching up to what lesbians were talking about over 30 years ago. I mean, it's yeah. 35 years old now, Yeah, that reference. But the thing is, that's the name. It's her name. People want to know the origin. In the first episode of the podcast, Absolutely. I go into all of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So I think that... It's this is again something that has become bigger than the person who's doing it's comic strip thing. And she, I think she's quite glad that people have have taken that conversation and run with it. And I think 
to me, the Bechdel test is, it's, there's been like a butterfly effect. So the Bechdel test happened and now, and now as a result, new conversations are happening around other, other areas of diversity or, or lack thereof in film. So, you know, you, I think in another episode you mentioned the Ava DuVernay test, yeah. which was about um, characters of colour and whether yeah. they, they, what kind of roles they inhabit as well, not just whether they're on screen or not. Um, and actually, I know before I even knew about that, I noticed something in this sort of lame, sort of mainstream film I watched on the plane home. And it was, I like Reese Witherspoon and all that, but this film was sort of fairly ridiculous. And Name the, the film. The name was, was it called Home Again? <gasps> yes. Have you seen it? No. It's I'm, basically fluff. I'm waiting um, to see it. It's enjoyable fluff, but then there were, I, or am I, I, there I waiting were literally to see two <laughs> characters of colour, one of whom is like an, an angry South Asian. Um, landlord guy oh who picks God. out these ki- these hipster kids and he has about two it's, it's cringy and the other one is literally the police delivery guy unnamed so he's an unnamed yeah. and they're both unnamed characters yeah. it's a total whitewash everyone is white everyone is ridiculously good looking yes and it's just so yeah. twee it's just so twee and it, no like, one turns grinding latino latino no, 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 no one that i can Ugh. call it's so white reese and you should- I know, no better than this. Come on, you're better than this. Yes. What big little lives? Big little lives have, yeah, but that has a whole issue where Bonnie, the character of Bonnie, um, by uh, what's her name, Zoe, Zoe, Zoe Kravitz, Kravitz yeah. uh, has the least amount of storytelling and is a fascinating that's true, but then character. If you, if you, I think that's, well, I, yeah, no spoilers, but that becomes, have you seen Big Little Lives? Yes. So she's. She becomes quite important as it goes on. And True, but she still. I don't think she has a screen time. I think. I hope she gets it. There's a season in two. In the season two, I think yeah. The way they yeah. set up the catalyst for her character, yeah. I hope, will become bigger. But yes. yeah, but she is basically the only character of colour really in the, in that, or certainly yeah. in probably. What I've I've noticed. Tell me if you think you agree that I think that's that like if there are a number of steps before everything becomes the way we want it to be. Yeah. The first steps. Uh, with with women, and you can also apply this to POC and maybe also disabled or, or, or people with other forms of discrimination. Is the um, uh, first thing is you see them on camera, background. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I watched the post recently. It's a very really good film. Really really liked it. Knew it was going to be. Was looking out for it. Had yeah. a really, really um, excellent female central character, which is played by Meryl Streep. So mm-hmm. at least you know you're getting people look at it. But of course, it was set in the Washington Post in the 70s. 70s yeah. So uh, you know that, that, that you can see Spielberg trying to get like you yeah. know a black secretary with a 70s afro, and I'm like. Okay, fine. You can see her, yeah. but he couldn't make because they're real characters. You're not going to he rewrite history, yeah. Yeah. So you have, so f- first of all, that, and I still think, why not just have more people in? I- I've got this issue about why can't we rewrite history with at least background characters, or just making one character or, or a change black the woman instead of a white man? Do I really care that much? I don't care if it's biographical or if they're dead. Anyway, so first yeah. step that. Next step, you get them to have speaking lines, but normally they play the bad guy yeah. or they're a caricature, but at yeah. least someone is getting paid for their speaking lines and you know they can try and make something of it and then you start getting into colour blindness or gender blindness but yeah we have such a long way to go and I really like my intersectionality episodes that um it's so complex it is I can't possibly speak to all of those things so back to the Bechdel test yes 
So, um, yeah, butterfly effect. Yeah. So that in, in that it's just it's led to people looking just actually actively having those conversations, and the, and the conversations have changed into, into action. In Sweden, they've actually got they actually used the Bechdel test. Um, for a certain percentage of what makes it into their cinemas, which is amazing. Um, but of course, the problem with that is it's still quite a narrow lens. So, um, a, a cop, you know, it might cut out films that might be be feminist, but in other ways, like for example, the um, IMDb F rating, um, which is only only happened last year, and that was influenced by the Bechdel test. So that would never have happened had it not been for the Bechdel test, and that will probably lead to more prominent tests or at least wait so I think it shouldn't ever be you know I don't think there should be hard and fast rules about how anyone should make you shouldn't tell a filmmaker how to make films but I think the stories we tell should be more diverse and actually it's interesting what you're saying about historical films what you know that's why it was interesting one of last year's big hits was uh, was it Hidden Figures brilliant yep. name as well yep. um, so clever. that's so clever because it tells you it's it's a, it's you know you're talking about you know NASA, but it's from a perspective that's never been shown before. And it's actually about... happened as well. Like my, my issue happened. was more or less to shove the people in and lie, just for yeah, the sake of yeah, yeah, making yeah. it obvious on screen. But hidden figures, this actually happened, they, and they got literally whitewashed. Yeah, so. they, they, their whole contribution to, the, to you know history, and it was also the politics of that, where you know black people were forced to use bathrooms that were like a half a mile walkway just it's which is absurd you're like how do we ever live in a society that allowed that to happen so it's a really good scene where Taraji P. Henson's character just goes she's been so contained yeah and then she just flips out she's just like I've had enough yes. that's just that's too much and it but it's about P. yeah and it's, it's so ridiculous and you know, and, and things like kind of microaggression still exist every day. So I think, you know, it, let's look at the stories that we're telling and, you know, and who we're representing because it's in the stories that we'll get the better representation. If all the stories are just told through a very narrow lens, that we'll never have any more diversity. And I, I would say on a hopeful note that if you look beyond the box office top ten, those films exist, you know, films that show... It's like how people... Um, you know, and even even you know sexuality. You know those. I was really impressed last year with how mainstream cinema took LGBT cinema in a different direction. Like um, you had, I mentioned God's Own Country. There was also my, probably my favourite film of the year was Call Me by Your Name, which is an utterly beautiful film. And now multi Oscar nominated, so it has come to huge attention. Yeah, and and deservedly so. It's just an, it's an incredible film. And um, but that but also they, it's it's showing those stories in a way we haven't necessarily seen them before in a way in a more nuanced way it's not the classic coming out story it's not that and um, and actually I felt last year mainstream cinemas did a lot better in in all kinds of representation like one of my favourite films as well from last year was um, 20th Century Women which I felt didn't get enough credit uh, although I'm really, really excited that uh, there's a lot of buzz around. Um, at the time of recording this, Lady Bird hasn't come out yet, so I haven't yes. seen it. But I love Greta Gerwig, and I love the fact that um, that's doing, yeah. that's making some. some I was traction. a bit. I love Mike Mills, so that's good. And yeah. I think he's really, really good at like having, making interesting female characters. Really good. Yeah. And liked all the characters. I didn't really like the film 20th Century oh, Women, but I don't I think that has it. anything to do with gender. No. I just I found. 
I found it was so hyper-realistic. I'm so convinced <laughs> it's based on so many... Because I know he says it's based on like his childhood. His own mum, yeah. I found so much of it so unbelievably awkward. So what I loved was that the characterisation was... I loved Greta Gerwig's character. She was phenomenal. I loved... Um, oh Annette my God, Benning. I forgot, yeah, I love Annette Benning. I think I love Annette Benning in everything. Yeah, yeah, um, same. What's... Um, oh my God, the sister. Uh, Fanning. Dakota? Oh, was it Dakota? L Fanning. Was it L? It's L. It's older. Sorry, Fanning. Sorry, um, <laughs> no, which one's older? Which I don't know. Dakota's older. Okay, so she's 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 the yeah. younger family. Yeah, that's L. <laughs> it's L. Yeah. yeah. Who, who's um, yeah? Who's carving out a very good um, uh, career for herself with things like um, yeah. neon neon demon. Neon demon, and yeah, she was also very good in uh, the last Sofia Coppola film. Beguiled, um, beguiled, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I, I, yeah, I, and that film was supposed to get um, 20th Century Women was supposed to be getting Oscar nominated and and didn't. But it, it is, it's she a just, new yeah. story. It's yeah. focusing on women. Maybe it's because it had women in the title. I don't know. But also, be it's because it featured a lead performance by an older woman. And also, what I found it just showed, especially as it was, you know, set in the 70s, I found it was such a great film. For all that, because she was so complex, because she was, she was, you know, kind of in some ways she was a real feminist, but in other ways she found feminism really alienating, and she was like, I don't get this, and it, and she was a product of her generation, and that comes up a lot. They're like, well, she's a child of the twenties, and it's like, and she's 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 really quite bohemian in some ways, but really conventional in others, and actually keeping the house together and the relationship. But, yeah, but what I but I love that. I love that. People, and actually, for me, that was the beauty of that film, is that he wrote those characters with nuance and with flaws. There's a beautiful Nora Ephron quote about um, how she writes. She says, I try to write um, female characters who are as flawed and as complex as women are. I think that's the quote, something along those lines. Um, and I, and, I, and I, I have that running through my mind. I'm like, yeah, to me, the, when, when, if we're specifically talking about gender more than anything else, um, like just for this purpose, I would say, and actually for any character, whatever, whoever you're representing, yeah. I would say the biggest crime that you can commit against them is underwriting them, not giving them interesting things to do. Not, you know, It's so obvious when you watch a lot of films, when you look at that, and so you were talking about character bios um, of Mike, we were talking about character bios, and actually it's so interesting because I've, I've watched some films, and even certain films that I saw last year, it was clear to me that the female characters didn't make it past the outlining stage. I was like, they are so thinly drawn. There is no sense of what's motivating them. They are there to service the plot and service that, that male character. Reactors. Yeah, they are re- yeah, reactors. Reaction characters. That's, that's yeah. brilliant. And, and I find that really depressing, whereas 20th Century Women didn't do that. It didn't treat any of its... It gave everybody... Because it actually had shifting... Um, that film had the shifting... Um, POV, like there was the, the you, it wasn't co- the voiceovers changed. So sometimes it was the young guy, sometimes it was it was Annette Bending's character Dorothea, sometimes it would be Abby, and even Billy Crudup. You kind of see his perspective. So and that's the and there were characters I hadn't seen. No, none of them I'd seen before. Like just because I didn't like the execution, I, yeah. the the setup, it, it was unlike. It was like a Cameron Crowe film, really. Oh I really? Think, I thought it was more like Wes Anderson. So not not the characters were more rooted not in reality. Not cinematography, maybe. No, but, but yes, I see what you mean. It's indie. Actually, it, was a it was, but also the art direction, story. the colours, the colour palette. Yes, that, no, that no, you're right. Was yeah. that kind of these sort of really saturated yeah. colours in the background? It was that kind of. And I love the music, I'm music obsessed, so the soundtrack was really important yes, for really me. Good. And I like the fact that they talk about the, the, 
the culture and she there's just an amazing scene where Dorothy is listening to I think it's like Bad Brains or no who is it it's a punk band it's Black Flag and she's like I've no idea this is really rubbish music but she's dancing yes. around yeah. to it with Billy Collins <laughs> making her dance and it's just so wonderful and it's that's what Derwig's character say doesn't, doesn't she say that about one of the bands she's like they, they haven't they, they've just got all this emotion and yeah. they don't know what to do with it so that was just, it yeah. they're talking about the raincoat she's like do they know they're not, they're not very good do they know they're not very good which is such a like I know that sounds so but it's somewhat like a generation like a mum would say it's something it's my mum used line. to say to me all the time you know this is just shouting this is just noise it's not it's not this is just noise yeah and I was like yeah that's so believable and all of it it was so well observed it was so and it gave the characters a, an opportunity not to be perfect not to be you know you didn't have to agree with everything that they said or did or but you still rooted for them. You still felt I felt emotionally invested in every one of their journeys, and that yeah. to me is a successful film. And that to me is a very heartening example of how a man can make a film and still serve women well. And I think yes. that's really good. Yeah. Um, and older women. So and older women. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was going to say for me, like the, the uh, and actually we're seeing more films with older mm-hmm. women on screen in a more yeah. nuanced Like, I have you seen the BAFTA nominations? The BAFTA nominations for best supporting actress this year. The youngest is 46 maybe which is Octavia the Spencer the yeah. youngest you have Leslie Manville that was you have Alison Janney what Jenny. was that film Fences was it called no uh, what's Octavia no Octavia Spencer's for The Shape of Water oh okay Leslie Manville's for Phantom Thread yeah. all films that we haven't seen yet because they haven't come out um, yeah. or I haven't or yeah. I didn't see it at festivals because I didn't see everything um, Alison Janney is for I, Tonya and there are two more and I'm sorry I can't remember them but everybody there were like there were like three oh, wow. actresses who were like oh uh, Frances no no Frances McDormand is lead I yeah. don't know anyway but then um, they're all actresses who are like there's a they're few all over who are, like 40. 60 yeah that's like, incredible that, but it's that amazing. and that goes to show that's you that's in one year that's mm. incredible so they, they so things are changing and you have well they did know. this year yeah you have the issue with Oscar so white Oscar so white I, yeah. I think this might be Oscar's BAFTA so women <laughs> like, well. we've got to keep it going yeah this is amazing but it should not be a one-off no it shouldn't be a one-off and actually and and to be honest and I, I probably if I had one final point about all of this is that I think most film it's like no one no one would go, announce like Martin Scorsese and say oh welcome Martin Scorsese um, the male filmmaker no female directors are just directors you know black or, or Asian or, or yes. people of colour, you know, LGBTQ d- directors, they're all, we're all just filmmakers, yeah. whichever, whether we're you yeah. know, editors or um, you know, doing sound, everyone's a filmmaker yes. and I think most people would rather stop having these conversations and just crack on and make good work but you kind of, the conversation needs to push the action so so long as, and that is and I guess f- things like these BAFTA changes are, there's still a long way to go but the fact that things are moving in that direction is great. I mean, you have actually. I think Agnes Varda has just become the oldest woman to be nominated for it. Is she Oscar nominated this year? I'm sure she's she's 89. There's no bathroom for me here. What do you mean? There's no bathroom for you there here? There is no bathroom. There are no colored bathrooms in this building or any building outside the West Campus, which is half a mile away. Did you know that? I have to walk to Timbuktu just to relieve myself. And I can't use one of the handy bikes. Picture that, Mr. Harrison. My uniform. 
skirt below my knees, my heels, and a simple string of pearls. Well, I don't own pearls. Lord knows you don't pay colors enough to afford pearls. And I work like a dog, day and night, living off a of coffee from a pot none of you want to touch. Excuse me, if I have to go to the restroom a few times a day. Then there's also the first female DOP. I, it's Rachel. Sorry, Rachel. <laughs> Sorry, Rachel. So, so many apologies. No, I, can, I can picture. Yeah. I can see a picture. She's, she's definitely called Rachel. That's for Mudbound. Mudbound, yes. Which yes. also has a yes. female, first time female, you know, a woman of colour. Who's Director. Character. But if it had been her and Gerwig in a in a list of five, can you imagine? I know. But I think also there's another snobbery, there's the Netflix snobbery, because Mudbound did not get cinematic release. Yes. And I wonder if that has... I think that is changing as well. Um, because well, I Mary think... J. Blige was, was in it, and she's been nominated for two Oscars. One for Song, and I think hers is um, Best Supporting. She might have been another one in the BAFTA, because yeah, she's not know. young, I young. Know. So... I, yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. It's, it's all... It's quite strange. But, um, I, yeah. I think that's a whole political, yeah, commentary. There could be a whole separate subject. Yeah. But unfortunately, it's. But she went to Netflix because they would make her film. Yeah. So it's almost like a double discrimination. Yeah. Because they're willing to take on more female. But it's, a, but it's like the whole deal that um, Ava DuVernay has now. I think is with yeah. Netflix. So because well, yeah, thirteenth was like, give that's her, how I yeah. saw it, and yeah. Which is really interesting. And uh, Shonda Rhimes, I think, has made deals with people as well because, again, they'll give her what she wants. So I think a woman wanting more creative um, focus and autonomy, they have to go to those, like, Netflix and Amazon are like mainstream now. I know I was going to say less yeah, mainstream, yeah. but let's face it, it took three years, it's happened. Yeah, but Next also, year, the Oscars, maybe. And I think, as much as I still. For me, it's still like seeing a film in the cinema is still the best way to see a film. For me, I still have that love of cinema. But at the same time, I think, especially for newer filmmakers, you can actually upload your script to Netflix and Amazon, I think. Like you can, I mean, I think they don't. Well, like a blacklist. I think they oh do. Goodness. I'm not 100, I may be wrong. Prime list. I'm sure there are, there, they have strands where you can just submit ideas. I mean, the likelihood of it just getting pulled out of nowhere and you being unrepresented, I have no idea. But the, the exist Vimeo as well have strands like yes. this. And so to kind of come back to, because I'm, I'm not really an industry professional in the sense I'm not like, you know, I'm not, I don't work for production or anything like that. But I'm making stuff on the margins, and I think for anyone you are an industry professional. Well, thank you. <laughs> but, but, but I'm making my own stuff. Like no one is paying me to make no. films. But if but you get your creative control. But I get my creative control, and if you want that, there are so many more platforms that you can do. And actually, things like Amazon and Netflix will take probably eventually start maybe taking a punt on things like we'll look at like um, web series is quite interesting. I mean, obviously, there's just like so many out there now but Broad City you know started as well and I, and I love those two you know Alana um, Glazer and Abba Jacobson and you know and then they're, they're becoming you know more interesting and they have they're becoming sort of showrunners and you've seen it I know she's quite polarising but Lena Dunham obviously was a showrunner as well as um, yeah. you know the the person who started it. So I think all of the all of these Directed, things. Started, yeah, and she started. She started. I mean, she's just really scrappy first um, film that she made. Tiny furniture. Not, there's one before oh, that. Tiny yeah, I did not know that. It's not great, uh, but the thing is, it's like a student film that she made. 
with no budget and I think and I quite liked Tiny Furniture because it sort of showed the ideas that would become girls um, but she had the confidence as well she was 23 she was making the film it's so lovely I never to see someone done so confident at that age and just not think because I think you lose yeah. it after a while absolutely and, I, and the I fear sets in yeah I made my first well I made my short film when I was in my 30s and I and I think if I could say one thing to anyone, I spent far too long waiting to be ready. And there's no such thing as ready. You just, you're ready when you just do it. And also, you might, it might fail. What's the worst that can happen? You make a film and no one sees it. That, that was, that's gutting, but you I make another one. I think someone will always see it. Well, now, well. That's someone the will. world. We all live online now. If it someone doesn't, you make will. it into festivals, stick it on you. And in fact, another yeah. filmmaker that I want to talk about, I'm now I'm going to have to stop soon, otherwise yeah. I'll just bang on about all my favourites. You'll have to um, come back. Yeah, Desiree Akaban, who I love, um, so she I do not know her at all Desiree Akhvan Desiree Akhvan so yeah. um, she is um, an Iranian American um, actor and filmmaker and she actually um, made her first film Appropriate Behaviour sort of semi-autobiographical um, oh, film about I've heard being yeah, about bisexual her. but also yeah. not coming out to her, her Iranian parents much to the annoyance of her then girlfriend who is her real life girlfriend used to be um and who's someone who also makes films called Ingrid Youngerman. So it's, it's, it's this whole interesting community happening, especially in the, com- the, the comedy world. And anyway, this, this comedy she made, I, re- I watched her, I think it was like a BFI interview with her, and she said, I made, um, I started making a web series because I'd made a short film and it never went anywhere. And, no, and it got into zero festivals, which was weird because I was like, if they're refusing you and then I thought but that by that point I'd already made a short film which had already been in a, a handful of festivals and I didn't think I'd done very well so I was like oh wow some people said yes that means it, it's done something it's done what it needed to do it's, it's, it's had a little festival run it won a small award it's done and she didn't do that with her first film but then that inspired her to just do a web series and it was called I think it was called F Train I, I, I can't remember if that was the one well, no, I can't know. I might have got the name wrong because there, there was also, I think Ingrid made one separately, but there was one. It, it's quite scrappily made, and it's mainly just. And it was actually, it was quite funny because I think the idea was it was like kind of they were they were calling themselves homophobic lesbians, where they're they're, they're a lesbian couple. She's I'm on board already. But they're, but they're constantly dissing other couples and like uh, you know, and they're and they're kind of and it's kind of this tongue-in-cheek Brooklyn hipster world. I mean, that world is very self-referential, but. Um, through through making that that led to her making appropriate behaviour and again you see the, the blueprint of the ideas and I always find it interesting to watch whoever the filmmaker is try and watch the first thing they made because you see the not only the journey of their ideas but you see that they were like you one day you know they were like the person that couldn't get a commission or like spent their like Chris Nolan Christopher Nolan spent I think a year making following on his his weekends off, I think he was working as a commercial editor or something like that. Mm-hmm. Very kind His of... wife produces all of his films yeah. as well. Yeah. And she hasn't talked about enough, and I bet you she has a much more... But the thing is, when you're married to someone like Christian Nolan, who's just so good and is doing something so innovative, yeah. and she also doesn't... Emma, again, the... the well, one thing I've learned from talking to you is that I don't know enough of people's names and I can yeah. remember the male names and the second thing I've learned is that we are setting the bar far too high for ourselves. Yeah. So that's that's what I'm getting from this. You have reached the bar. You are a writer-director. Oh, thank you.
Um, I'm looking for the grown-up underwear of a woman in charge of her sexuality and not afraid of change. Tell me about your next project. Um, well, I don't want to say too much because I always think yeah. it's slightly, well, A, no one, not that many people know me, but also... I'm going to steal the idea. No, a, no, it's also the thing of, uh, you know, until I've got something to show, it's, yes. not, it's not a thing yet. Can so. you give us the... Yeah, I'm the next thing I'm two on, women talking two women, to each yeah. other. So it's I'm it's a comedy web pilot, web series pilot. Yeah. Um, the idea is uh, that I can't, you know, I, I wanted to make the whole web series, but then I just thought actually I don't necessarily have the money and time to do the whole thing on my own. So I'm going to try and make well, I'm going to make a pilot and then after that pitch it or just put it out there, see what happens, and then find some collaborators. Yeah, but with no, and I've, I've got, and I've got, I know who I'm working with. And basically, I, I, there are two performers that I love who, who are actually from the, the comedy group I told you about. Yes. And I just wanted them to work together, and it was annoying me that they weren't working together. So I'm like, I'm just going to have to write something. And then it gives me something else to direct. I think so. this makes you a producer as well, you oh, know no. that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely not a producer. <laughs> and on that basis, writer, yeah. director, producer, Becky Matthews, thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much to Becky Matthews. Her film is called Double Word Score. I would search for it on the internet and I will put details of where you can contact Becky on the show notes. Thank you so much for listening and until next time, I'm going to let Becky's Double Word Score soundtrack play us out. Bye! We met by the river, the month was September, the ashes sky turned to grey. The wind blew us northwards, we followed our noses and the low-hanging moon in our way. Wake up, wake up, and drink in the morning, wake up, wake up, sunrise